Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and I'm Ellen and this week we have a special episode because we don't have a guest because we're going to be looking back over the last year of our podcasts and basically sharing our favourites for anyone who's missed them or who just wants a reminder of all the great stuff we've done this year. So we've had some brilliant guests on throughout the year. Obviously, we love them all equally. But having said that, there are a few for us that just kind of stand out and we thought we might have a little chat about them. And you can have a listen to some of the clips and maybe go back and have a listen if you fancy. Yeah, if you like the clips, go listen to the episode because that's probably just one tiny snippet of how it's so good. Mm -hmm. I guess, should we take it in turns? Yeah, sure, let's do that. I I wonder if we've chosen the same ones as well because we made these lists separately. Yeah. That'd be interesting. It'd be good if some of them were the same. Yeah. But yeah, anyway. Let's see. You can go first. So basically, we started off the year talking about our own mental illness and why we wanted to start up the podcast. Um, So... That was a bit different because we hadn't done that before. So it was me interviewing Ellen about her depression, anxiety and OCD and Ellen interviewing me. That was quite interesting for me just because it was a bit different. Hopefully it helped you understand why we wanted to set up the podcast. I learned some interesting stuff about Ellen that I didn't know before. And I think she probably learned some interesting I well, did. Well, random stuff about me that she didn't know. It's interesting. Yeah, that's also on my list, actually. Oh, cool. I loved it because also it was like a free therapy session. So. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sweet. I cried. So that's always, you know, different. I was close to crying. <laughs> I went home and I was just like, I just need to sit down and just decompress after that intense chat. Mm, it was a bit intense, wasn't it? But yeah. I think it was probably good for both of us. But Definitely. yeah, here it is. Here's a snippet of it. I started getting depressed when I was about 14. And I remember coming home. I remember very clearly coming home after school and just feeling like something was very deeply wrong. I didn't know why I was sad, but I was very sad. And I went through sort of, I guess, a few months of locking myself in the bathroom and just crying, but not knowing why I was crying. I went to my mum quite early on and said that I had this feeling. Okay, so that was me and you. My other favourites of this year, there was one that I don't think Yvette was there for, but it was really big to me. Basically, we spoke to Alison Raskin, who is a YouTube creator, comedian, writer. I was excited about it anyway, because I've just been following her for ages. And I think she's brilliant and really funny. But also she spoke about OCD. And even though obviously I know about OCD because I have it, I think there's something about hearing experiences similar to your own that is so affecting. Like, I again, I think after that, I needed to go home and just like, let it all out. Um, but it was really powerful to hear her talk about all of that. Growing up, I would like when I was on Paxil from like eight to 12, I did put on a lot of weight there. And I think also again in college, I put on some weight. And then I had been off of meds when I was 21. And then like, I guess maybe almost a year and a half ago now, I was in a bad place and I just wasn't addressing, you know, I wasn't taking care of my mental health and I sort of needed some help. Um, and I went on Zoloft and uh, with the Zoloft, it, I mean, it, it was amazing and it helped me so much, but I put on like probably like over 20 pounds. Um, and you know, that that's not healthy. <laughs> so the next one for me that I thought was really great was one where I had an individual chat as well. Um, that was with Ryan McCormack and that was us chatting about addiction. That was just one of those incredible chats where I just felt like we basically could have recorded for hours and hours mm. and we got to our sort of usual half 20 minutes half an hour and I just really sort of felt like I would have loved to keep chatting and chatting but obviously you, you can't keep going on about things um yeah he's got a really really interesting story about alcoholism and his heroin addiction There's the things that he went through with that um basically he became a criminal because of it as well and then his journey basically through recovery it's it's really basically incredible the the life that he's led and the 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 way that he's sort of sort of gone there and come back really. Um, so I think that was just a really interesting chat for me, and I think that should be a really interesting listen to. I was born in Coventry in 1973, and to a normal, you know, loving working class family, and I don't know why. Um, I would have had a mind like I had, but I did. And I was quite a sensitive little lad. Um, and I remember at the age of seven thinking, I want to kill myself. I have no idea why I would think that thought. Um, and my only understanding of that is uh, I must have felt a bit of pressure. Mm. And that's just with life in general. So other than that, like my childhood up until that point was pretty standard, pretty regular. I was actually sad that I missed what, that one because I listened to it and loved it. And I think you're right. It's one of those people that you just want to talk to for hours. Yeah. Well, with him, I think like there was just this one mention of 
like an armed robbery that he did. And I didn't even have time to go into that <laughs> yeah. because we were, you know, we wanted to get onto the the recovery side of things. But yeah, it's just so much stuff that he's been through. I think another one that I wanted to talk to for ages was quite recent. Um, John Barry Muldron, who hosts On The Ward, which is one you introduced kind of to me because I hadn't, I didn't know that podcast was going on, but it's now one that I tell everyone about. Yeah, I love that. It's just fascinating because it's the kind of thing that, I think it challenged a lot of my own preconceptions. Like, I think we're both quite mental health positive and like open about that stuff. But I don't really know what the inside of a mental health unit looks like or what it feels like or what happens there. So it's just fascinating hearing that from the perspective of a nurse. Mm. It was, yeah, just brilliant chat. Working in a secure unit and all the things that he's sort of seen and experienced. Um, Yeah, he was really great. And yeah, hearing about his podcast as well was Mm. really great as well. What actually happens at the mental health hospital as well? Uh, Well, I suppose, I mean, I could go for a day. So in the morning they wake up at, you know, nine o'clock and we have medication in the morning. Normally we have medication three times a day. Not necessarily all patients will be on medication three times a day, but we have three medication slots. And then after they've had meds, normally we'll have a community meeting, which is kind of where the patients and the staff will get together and we discuss any issues that are going on the ward or any problems they have or what they're planning for the day. And then kind of from 10 o'clock onwards, they're on into like therapy time. So they're all individualised therapy. So mm. I think on the podcast you hear that some of them do music, some of them love sport, and we try and focus on whatever they like to do. There are like psychology sessions as well. And a big thing, particularly on the ward uh, where the podcast is recorded, is leave. So having leave is such an important thing for them. Going to the community, you know, going to the library, just accessing community services is really, really important for them to try and you know, prepare them for when they do get out. Three o'clock, we'll have uh, more therapies. And then about four o'clock, sometimes we'll have a roundup of the day. So we come in, we check in, we see how did everybody go? How was your day? Have dinner, more meds and bed. We've had some celebrities, which we haven't mentioned yet. So mm. some of them are on my list. I'm going to mention one or two now. So we had Rose McGowan. That was brilliant. Oh, my God. So first of all, I can't believe we got her on the podcast. That was amazing. <laughs> so are you sure you know what you're agreeing to? But cool. So that was fantastic um, to have her, to have her on, and she mentioned going to Overeaters Anonymous and being the toast girl. That's the thing I remember about mm-hmm. her. And we sort of discussed sort of being in the public eye and sort of horrible websites dedicated to her being fat, and you know what what that must feel like when you've had an eating disorder. Um, but yeah, she was just incredible, and she was mm-hmm. just incredible to interview as well. She's just a brilliant person, basically. Yeah, and hilarious and really open and really down to earth. Like she wasn't acting like. I'm famous and you're not. No. <laughs> it's like we were swapping stories. It was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah, she was brilliant. I went to actually Overeaters Anonymous and that helped me really greatly. Uh, it's a 12-step program and they do things for, it's not just for overweight people or people with compulsive eating disorders. It's also for bulimia and anorexia. And that was something that really saved my life. I'd had no structure kind of at all ever. And it gave me structure, but it also really helped focus me. I mean, I, they called me toast girl. The first year I was in there, all I would talk about is toast, eating it three times a day. That was all I could manage. And I look back on that and it's so, so sad. It's such a desperately sad illness, you know, and it's something that's so hard to recover from. And the time I relapsed with it was someone had done um, a really comprehensive website devoted to how fat I was. That was nice of them. And another celebrity we had was Dame Kelly Holmes. Yes. Is that on your list as well? Rose McGowan was. Yeah. Kelly Lovely. Holmes was like, I'm trying to keep this not filling up an entire page, which was <laughs> surprisingly difficult. Well, Dame Kelly Holmes was just absolutely lovely again. She talked about depression and self-harm. Um, and obviously she's just an incredibly 
inspiring person. And I think she's one of the kind of people that you'd you wouldn't necessarily sort of look at her and think, oh, she's ever self-harmed or anything. But, you know, she was incredible coming in talking about how she felt and and also what she's done since in terms of helping athletes who have, who have finished their career and then sort of, because she set up a charity to help them transition from sport. So that was really great to hear. She's just a really inspirational person, I think. So that's a really nice one as well. And yeah, the end of hers is very inspirational. She actually said, dreams do come true. So and that's a lovely quote to live by. <laughs> I like that. When you're doing sport, especially at elite level, um, you've gone for a journey to get there anyway. I mean, I had a dream when I was 14 to be Olympic champion. That's just a fluffy cloud when you're 14. It's not reality. It's a fluffy cloud, but at least it gave me a goal and a vision. And when I had, when I was in sport, I knew I could be good at something. So when you go through a journey where actually, when I became a full-time athlete, Everything is consumed by that life because you have a date in the diary when your main championship is at the end of a year of a Commonwealth Games, European Champs, World Champs or Olympics. And that date's never going to move for you. It's not like work or daily life where you can take a day off or you can move it slightly. This is a date in a diary. So that's already pressure because you think ahead, whether it's four year period because of the Olympics or the Champs, you think ahead. I have to be at my best at that time. Then you break it all down. And then over those years, you have like three month cycles and you have a monthly program, a weekly program, a daily program. And even in that day, you're breaking down that day to what time you're going to wake up, what you're going to eat, what training time your session is, um, your massage, your recovery, your then the next train session. And even when those sessions, you're thinking of hitting a target and a time and recovery. And if you don't hit the time, are you doing well or not doing well so it's constant in your head i think my next one which is one of my favorites is a bit controversial okay because it's most of my favorites fit into either i'm learning something completely new about something i've never experienced or they're basically repeating things that i really relate to sure but this one is different mm-hmm. um it was with kaylee jade about alternative therapies oh that's interesting yeah and i just loved it because i don't think we've ever had someone on who we disagree with we're normally so much like, yes, your experiences line up with mine and like I can understand this, blah, blah, blah. Whereas I think both of us are sceptics and it was just really enjoyable to kind of debate a bit with someone who believes in what they're doing and that maybe we would be dismissive of normally. Yeah, that's the thing. And I'm really glad that she agreed to come on and talk mm. about alternative therapies just because I'm sure that a lot of listeners, you know, do have, you know, might believe in stuff like that and find that things like that help them. So yeah, but like you say, it's not something that's for me personally. Mm. It was really great that she would come on and basically share her experiences of that. Yeah, especially with us going, mm, ghosts. Yeah, yeah, she was great. Basically, I do kind of like one-to-one treatments. So a little bit like people be going for a massage. You would come and see me for a Reiki healing session or a crystal healing session or a one-to-one sound therapy session. And it's very similar to, you know, going for a massage where you lay down, relax, but we're working kind of in an energetic level. So I will be kind of identifying blockages and kind of trying to work out what's going on beneath the surface. Um, so if you came to see me, you would kind of lay down for an hour session. I would kind of start at your head if I was doing a Reiki treatment and just work my way down through chakras. I think my next highlight would be Rick Samada on Turning 30 and his book, which I like sobbed through. It's really weird for me because I knew him just as this really funny person, like the Inspector Gadget person from The Guardian. 
And then when they sent through the book, I was expecting something with loads of jokes and like funny bits. And there are jokes and funny bits, but it's really powerful story. Um, and talking to him was, again, one of those that could have gone on for a whole evening. Yeah. Happily. He was just a lovely guy as well, wasn't He's he? He's great. He's so nice. I'm a little bit in love with him. It's fine. <laughs> I wrote about turning 30 and having, I was in a major depression at the time. And I was living with my mum and I'd, I'd stopped working and I'd split up with my partner and everything was going very badly. And then I, I took this trip with my mum because she, she wanted to take me to Australia to go scuba diving and then to Thailand to see um and introduce me to all these new things for my 30th birthday to sort of just get me away from myself I guess a bit um and yeah it was sort of awful trip awful trip awful trip and then it turned into this amazing trip where we kind of communicated for the first time in a long time and I was able to open up about things to her and ask her about her childhood and realize that there had been problems with mental health in our family that I didn't didn't know about which sort of explained things to me a bit more. Um, and it was sort of a turning point in my life. And I wrote this article and it seemed to resonate with a lot of people. And so then I got asked to write this book. And and I, I saw it as an opportunity to kind of put to bed some of the demons from my past that I think had been like hounding me for, for all my life, really, and try and make peace with my childhood experiences and things that I'd experienced growing up and... Um, the unraveling of my mental health through my 20s and I wanted to sort of make my peace with it and kind of address those issues and then move through them and start again in a weird sort of way yeah with a new a blank slate I guess this might be slightly controversial as well but um well maybe not so in May we finally chatted to our arch nemesis that was fun <laughs> and she didn't take it badly when we said she was our arch nemesis no she didn't was she was very kind about it so that was Bryony Gordon um she was talking about her book and um, what she'd tell her younger self. And the main thing I remember about that was her being really open and honest, as she always is about this stuff, about her OCD and calling calling her OCD Jareth, which is the Goblin King from Labyrinth. Yes. Which was hilarious. And I still haven't watched Labyrinth. So oh, my God, Lallan. <laughs> this is like ridiculous. Labyrinth is a classic. I'll watch it by the end of the year. <laughs> In Bryony's honour. I realised when I was about 37, I'm now in the grand old age of 38, I realised that people talk about coming of age, like when they're a teenager. And I realised I got sober at 37. And I, and about a year in, I realised that I was coming of age. Like I was the still, I was basically the age at which I started drinking, which was like 14. So I'm not that different to what I was like as, as a teenager. I mean, apart from the material stuff, I just hated it. I hate, I don't have any happy memories of childhood or my teens, which isn't like, oh, boo-hoo, poor you, you know, like I didn't, but I just don't, I just remember being in perpetual fear of not just the world, but myself of being me. It was a horrible, horrible time, you know, and that thing when people go, all oh, the school years are the best of your years of your no. life. I get what what they're trying to say. It's like I sometimes say to my say to my daughter, and she's only six, but I'm like, what what is it like when she starts crying or like throwing, like losing her shit? Oh, can I say shit? Like yeah, losing yeah. her shit over the fact that I've given her a blue plate and not a pink plate. That kind of like tiny. Mm. And I'm like, what is it about six being six that's so awful? Is it the unconditional love, the fact that we do everything, the fact that you don't have to go to work? You know, like and I get. I get why 
older people always tell younger people like, oh, you've got it. You don't know how good you've got it. But um, I, I think it's really important to listen to young people and let them feel heard. And I do think that a lot of the problems we have as adults come from not being heard as children. Okay, so my final one is Maggie Van Eyck who, again, is someone that I followed for ages and think is great. But she came on to talk about um, becoming a mum while also struggling with a mental illness. Uh, I don't want kids. <laughs> I have no desire to be a mum. But listening to her talk about it was really powerful. Um, she was really open about kind of the fears that come from being pregnant and also having a mental illness. Um, and also it was just sweet to hear someone like, talk about some uh, kid that they love <laughs> like I can't relate but it was really really sweet and also she didn't even mind when I was like comparing her baby to my cat which is <laughs> you know very nice of her because others would have been very angry no she was really lovely and yeah answered all our questions about motherhood and stuff yes and, yeah all our nosy questions like how yeah. much does it hurt to give birth yeah we were quite nosy <laughs> but give that a listen you can hear how nosy we were the diagnosis took a while so i was diagnosed with depression and general anxiety disorder at uni and for the longest time i thought there was something physically wrong with me so i'd go in for you know ask them to check for meningitis diabetes um i thought i had a brain tumor at one point like i didn't really know anything about anxiety so that was kind of when the ball started rolling for me in terms of like okay i've got something mental sort of going on had therapy and medication for it and then sort of in my early 20s the anxiety and depression just got worse and the episodes became more intense and longer and I thought there was something else sort of at play and after I had to go to A&E for sort of like the sixth or seventh time a crisis team they put me through a psychiatric assessment and I thought that I had bipolar disorder they decided that I didn't and then they thought maybe I did and then I so I went back and forth in between all these hoops and in the meantime kind of doing my own research and the more I read about borderline personality disorder and the more I read about the case studies the more I was like mm, this sounds really familiar to me and I can even though all well, the jargon was super cold and medical I just felt like mm, this feels like my story. My final one for the year so far um, was one where it was just me alone um, okay. it was, but I wish you'd been there because it was a really interesting one. It was quite a difficult one to do in some ways, um, uh, cause we were chatting about suicide. Um, it was the chat that I had with Simon Sarakani, um, and it's the episode called losing my son. So obviously it wasn't a, a very easy conversation to have. It might not be sort of the easiest listen to be honest, and it might not be the one you want to go to if you're not feeling great. But having said that, it really sort of made me think about a lot of things and having had depression it, and sort of been in that position where I'd sort of wanted to check out, seeing how it affected a parent was actually very powerful and, and sort of, I think it really sort of helped me like generally and maybe that will help some listeners. Um, but yeah, I really appreciated her coming on and talking about that because, you know, suicide is not an easy thing to talk about. And to talk about your son as well. That's I'm sad that I missed that one but um, I remember why I didn't because I think that week I was really struggling with my mental health and like feeling suicidal and I was like I just can't handle that no. but I swear you were struggling as well I wasn't having the best week yeah. but in weirdly it, like I say it actually helped me mm. so yeah it, thinking yeah. how it would affect people was actually really helpful my son was born born here and um, he was a very very gentle gentle boy from the beginning uh, 
He was a great A student. He he loved nature. He loved animal, and he was uh, always caring about homeless people, handicapped people, this stuff. But um, the problem with Yubi was he could not sleep as a child. He had a sleeping disorder as a baby. And um, it was really hard and painful. But at the age of 15, 16, through the puberty, his circadian rhythm, we call it inner clock, just stopped working and he could not sleep at all. We went to Mayo Clinic, we went to uh, Boston, McLean, because um, they were known for sleeping disorder. A clinic was famous and I would go back and forth. And uh, at the end they told us that they, there is no cure. They have never seen uh, a case like Jubi. They had one, but it was not uh, as bad at all. By then, Jubin body, there was nothing left in him. He was so skinny, he couldn't walk properly, and he, he looked so old for his age. And then uh, this pain in the head, the pain couldn't tolerate it anymore. So one thing we haven't mentioned, Ellen, is Mentally Yours Live, the first live event from Mentally Yours. That was exciting. That was in April. Oh, my God. I really enjoyed that. Lots of things sort of went wrong, although people don't need to know that. But anyway. <laughs> it not on the recorded podcast. I was panicking about our microphones. Um, but that was our first live panel chat. We held it at Waterstones in High Street, Kensington. People came along. We were chatting about um, mental health and work. We had fantastic panel. We had Natasha Devon, Dr. Pragya Agarwal, Matthew Todd, Carl Anker. Brilliant people. They've all been um, former guests of ours. Um, and they were just all brilliant chatting about mental health and work. And yeah, it was all, it was really nice to meet people that listened as well. Mm. Oh, people that listened. Listeners. Listeners. If only there was yeah. a word for that. <laughs> yeah. No, I loved it as well. I was so nervous leading up to it. I haven't done anything like that before. And I was so like, oh, what if no one shows up? And also I bought so many biscuits, too many biscuits. Yeah, we, I think eat. we both kind of overcompensated with the food side, didn't yeah. we? Like, I think and we also, said, like, even if it's shit, they'll at be, least they'll have biscuits yeah. and they'll be grateful. And I was just sort of the same with the goodie bags because like beforehand oh, yeah. I was kind of, I think I was obsessing more about people have to have really good goodie bags from this event more than I was sort of thinking, what am I going to say? I was just like, they have to have all the fun stuff that they, they go were away. Good. Well, I think they were quite they good were goodie excellent. bags. <laughs> I remember because I think I took about three and took them home for Chris as well. Um, yeah, that was amazing. And I, I definitely think that's something we want to do more of in the future. Yeah, I think so. Fewer biscuits though. Yeah. Very often it is the work of the majority to make you feel bad for pointing out a line in the sand as if you put it there yourself. So I think it's good. We're, we're now in a position where, hooray, more people are going, I don't, I can't go to work because I've got a mental health issue. Advice is autobiographical and I only speak for myself. Um, if I want to take a mental health day off work 
I will still call in sick and say I have a headache. But I think there is a growing understanding that people are doing that. Um, so things are better, but not that much better. And there is the idea of I'm a freelancer. I don't particularly want to be a freelancer. And the people I meet in my walk of life who have similar conditions are also freelancers. And every now and again, we raise our eyebrows and go, are we freelancers via choice or are we freelancers because the full-time working environment in the United Kingdom in 2019 is completely incompatible with living with a mental health condition? Um, and to that, I don't know. If you've been affected by any of the snippets you've listened to today or by Yvette and I talking, um, you can contact the Samaritans on 116-123 or go to their website at samaritans.org. If you enjoy our podcast, please give us a rating and a review. Five stars, please. Also, you can find us on Facebook. We have a group called Mentally Yours and we're also on Twitter at MentallyYRS. See you next time. <laughs>